This week's episode contains various mentions of intimate partner violence, self-harm, and suicidal idealization. While the content isn't very explicit in itself, it could be triggering for some listeners. It's okay if you need to skip this one. Do what's right for you. This is Unsilent, a speak series from No Stigmas that champions mental health advocacy and challenges the stigmas that prevent people from getting the help they need. I'm Eli Lawson, a producer for the show. This week, No Stigma's very own Lance Bordalone will be having a conversation with Elizabeth, one of No Stigma's earliest members and longtime ally advocate. We'll dive into Elizabeth's memories of intimate partner violence and encounter the traumatizing effects of broken boundaries. But we'll also hear about Elizabeth's path to recovery and how her experience helped her become an advocate for IPV survivors and shed light on the dark tactics of manipulative people. Thank you for being here. If you want to learn more or contact us, visit nostigmas.org. Don't face it alone. Be unsilent. It's a serious topic. It is. I mean, it's so funny how like it's serious, but you have to have a little bit of levity with it because like we have gotten to the other side of it. Even though we're like coexisting with it, there is something to be said about like living in that recovery, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Awesome. Okay, let's jump in. All right, we're so excited today. Um, We are talking with Elizabeth today and she's gonna tell us um, a little more about her story. And our topic is toxic relationships. And hopefully in our conversation today, we'll also define and find out what is not a toxic relationship so we can celebrate what a a, healthy relationship in our life looks like. So I'm really, really excited to talk with a No Stigmas veteran, uh, Elizabeth. (laughs) Thanks, I'm so happy to be here. I mean, this is, really what everything is based on is relationships, right? So um, a lot of times we can get into relationships where you get familiar with things that mm-hmm. might actually be toxic. So it's a really good conversation to be having and to focus on like the healthy aspects of them too. Totally. Well, okay. So first thing for anyone who's watching or who's, you know, heard buzzwordy, you know, toxic gets thrown around. What, if we just start with there, what would be a good baseline definition to understand you know, what is a toxic relationship? And then we'll, we'll, we can go into some other areas of that. Yeah, well, I mean, I look at toxic relationships, really, like, we don't want to candy coat it. A toxic relationship, mm-hmm. in some way, is also intimate partner violence. Um, mm-hmm. And as defined by the CDC, intimate partner violence is physical, um, psychological abuse, aggression within an intimate relationship. And it's not just limited to spouses. So it can be people you're dating, um, just casually seeing a former spouse. Um, and when I say toxic, I mean, it's like the things that your body is, usually tells you a signal that it's like, this is not right. Like you yeah. feeling of, I don't really like being spoken to like that, or that was actually really painful or. I didn't like that. They did that to me in public. Um, I know for me, humiliation and like control was a big thing, like in social settings. So really like toxic, we have a weird voice inside of us that likes to speak up and say, it didn't quite feel right. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's how I really define toxic is that your inner voice is saying, "Mm, I don't think I like that. Right. So let's go back to your inner voice. Like where, 
do you think, you know, tell us a little bit, I know we've gotten to know your story in different um, chunks on, on some of our online content, but what if, let's go back to when you first kind of encountered in, you know, intimate partner violence or now you look back and say, okay, that was a toxic relationship. What was, mm-hmm. what was going on? And, and you said that little voice, walk me through, did you hear the voice back then? Or did you, were yeah. you not hearing it? You yeah. know, did you hear it later? It's weird because like I did hear that voice a lot and I silenced her. Um, yeah. And having a childhood that had like no trauma or drama in it, I developed a really strong like sense of self. So yeah. I really did have this relationship with the inner, inner voice that I trusted her. Um, and you know, not having been in a romantic relationship until I was you know, just starting high school, um, just like a lot of people, we don't have too many guideposts of how things are done or what it's supposed to feel like. You know, we have these like romanticized ideas, but like when you're actually in it, it's a really mm-hmm. like thing, developmental time. So while I had this really strong like, moral compass and voice inside of me that was recognizing some grooming things and things that didn't feel so good. I really believed the abuser when they said, you're being too sensitive or Mm. this is an abuse. You don't know what abuse is or Mm. you're being dramatic. Um, A lot of times um, intimate partner violence when you're in your adolescence is called teen dating violence. So, okay. I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, too, because, like, I came across that when I was first looking for where I fit in, in the survival Mm. community, and I even had these, like, self-stigmatizing beliefs of what, like, being a teenager was, and Mm -hmm. I did with teen dating violence. I was like, I can't be, and it's because everyone around me was always using the language of, well, teen love, it's so dramatic, and it's so up and down and you have all these hormones and you're going through puberty. So like, I think even though like I started to talk to friends or they would notice I was like crying in the hallway or um, I was like, just not doing well, mm-hmm. they would kind of stereotype that it's like, that's just the way relationships are. And I, yeah. that so this idea of the perfect relationship and what it was mm-hmm. supposed to be like was like totally shattered in my mind. And I thought, well, maybe this is the real world. Like this is the way. And it, this is how it is. Exactly. Yeah. This is how it is. Wash that voice down. I didn't really listen to her. Um, and it wasn't until much later that I actually lifted her up and, you know, later on in therapy did a lot of uh, psychodrama work where I was, actually talking to that girl right right did you I know you and it's whatever you're comfortable with but I know a lot of times of I've heard you speak or um, spoken with you um, more recently it I think maybe for time we've sort of condensed the 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 stuff but what we want to do here is is really get into the grit so that we make it real for people so either you know, someone who's listening or watching is in that environment and, and is mm. like you're saying p- to fight the stigma of being told you're just dramatic. You're just this. You're just, like, wait a second. You know, I'm 
so I want to help people identify, but also I want to, I want this conversation to also help classmates, loved ones, friends, coworkers, you know, and, and say, wait, that's, that's not okay. You know, like, and, and look out for people. So can you take us into as much as you're comfortable with sharing what happened to you? What actually, you know, what did, what took, what took you to these places? Yeah. Well, like I said before, it really started off as these small, tiny things. And whether or not, like, the abuser actually even recognized that that's what he was doing, he was. Um, and it's a good time to point out that, like, generational cycles of abuse, like, really do create that type of toxic relationship. And mm. as I looked back, realized that his family was, like, full of those generational cycles and curses and um you know it's not an excuse for anybody to behave criminally and to be abusive and to be toxic but it's like a really big part of where this comes from it's not like someone just decides one day to be like a complete psychopath or right i mean because psychopathy is like a legitimate reason why people interact exactly, in relationships right. without empathy and without um any fear of repercussions or whatever so without getting down that path yeah it, right that clinical but yeah there's <laughs> that generational learned yeah um so environment. that it's important to also note that like people who um, utilize abusive techniques and whatever when it's you know they're starting off from small levels I'm not even sure people are totally aware of it. It's what they were modeled. It's what worked on them. So it perpetuates that cycle. Um, and because I was kind of thrown into this relationship like very early on as a freshman, mm -hmm. um, I had really- So this is all, we're talking, this is first year high school. Yeah, freshman year. Where, in, where are you in first year high school? Okay. Yeah. yeah, so it's like wow. Elizabeth, freshman year in high school and, you know, just- had this very like a Disney relationship with what love was supposed to be. Right. Um, and I had been modeled really positive and healthy mm. relationships. So, you know, did it, you it, feel like optimistic? Did you feel almost, I mean, was that, do you think up until that point, maybe looking back, you, I don't know. Cause like, I know myself, like kind of grew up in a small town, mm. never really saw a lot firsthand that you know it's oh that's in a movie that's not real you know and I guess I would say I was naive for a while and I still would you know I was um, just a tangent for a second I was taking a cab in New York uh, when I was visiting family recently and mm -hmm. staying in a, in a hotel overnight just affordable solution fly out the next morning and my cab drivers I think I used to live here and he said uh it's like yeah you know and I never felt scared I never felt scared and uh he he was like, oh, yeah, that's because, you know, nothing ever happened to you. And I was like, maybe I am still naive. <laughs> like, you know, I was like, I'm not denying that bad things happen, but I think I just live in this headspace of like believing the best in people is what I'm trying to say, you know, yes. thinking that that can't possibly, no, that we have the potential for such good. Did you feel like there was a point where, you know, you came from this sort of ideal, you know, this is how the world is. This is what love looks like. And did you mm -hmm. feel that you maybe we're in a little bit of that naive space do you think that was part of it or do you think it was just you'd never stop to think yeah it was probably both it could be yeah yeah i do think that like having been raised 
like super gently and mm -hmm. without, um, you know, going back now, I can see in family structures, like where there were issues and things, but I was just never privy to that information. So I was protected from it as a child. So yeah um there is that and nobody wants it's like nobody wants yeah. your child to go through that either like you don't you don't need to go through that to understand how the world works <laughs> yeah so you know it was great parenting great just like family life and dynamics and yeah there's definitely just something because i just i felt that's not my path like there's no way mm -hmm. to me um mm -hmm. and it's a good time to bring up how like that type of privilege really does translate into why maybe I didn't I waited so long to talk to my parents about it because I was like very ashamed and very guilty it's like oh my gosh you raised me right how could I get in a situation or um it shouldn't be happening to me I have so many things I should be happy about and um I was just constantly oscillating between being trying to keep on the mask and the happy face and then like shutting myself away and being in damage control and just take care of myself and then get back out there and try to be happy. So I guess like the best way to describe what the relationship looked like for me, especially in the beginning was a lot of like gaslighting, a lot of that slow grooming. So just to mm -hmm. pause right. I love the word gaslighting. I learned it when I was in a journalism program, I did not know what it was before. I've never heard that growing up. Can you just tell us what is gaslighting? If people hear it or if people are experiencing something and are like never able to put their finger on what that is. Yeah, so gaslighting is when you have your understanding of the reality of a situation, something you said, something that happened, and then somebody saying, no, that's not it at all, like you're crazy or trying to undermine like your truth or your reality. So then eventually it kind of conditions you to not trust your sense of reality and you get a little bit untethered, ungrounded. And ultimately like when, when that type of gaslighting happens, mm -hmm. it grooms you to trust what that person is saying over yeah. your, your own experience. Uh, so it's very dangerous. So would you say, so, okay, so we have this gaslighting. That's a great definition of it. And then I I know I'm familiar with grooming, um, you know, and and more, you know, growing up in my household, there was, there was a lot of substance abuse. There was um, physical abuse, which led to, and when I was very young, my sister unfortunately experienced more of it. Um, she's older than, than me. Um, so I'm familiar with this grooming. What would you say, if you look back, what are some examples, like tangible things that were said or done that you, without, you know, wherever you're comfortable, but mm -hmm. what were some things that were said or done that you, you're like, that was grooming. I let that, you know, that, now I see that that's what was happening. Mm. I think a good example of it, because the psychological side of it can get so muddy, um, uh, to start is mm -hmm. a type of grooming. So yeah. to almost like prepare me to not respond um, in a protective manner to like physical abuse, um, it started off with like holding my hand and squeezing too hard or not letting me go from a hug. Things like that um, were eventually then like more 
blatant forms of physical abuse and then ultimately sexual abuse, I was like dissociating already from it or feeling like I didn't have wow. enough control or like ability to restore strength because I just shut down. Um, so small things like that, that I really, I look back and say, yeah, that's when that voice was like, I don't like this. Or I right. really started to try to turn away from this person or now I'm avoiding them. And now they're stalking me. Like stalking is another big part of intimate partner violence and teen mm -hmm. dating violence is it's just a, a way of controlling and in a way also to grooming to remind me that like he's always going to be there um so it was instilling a fear in me and that by keeping it a secret i was saying like safer because ultimately it became more like threatening and well if you say anything it means this this and this or i'll tell people this this and this and gosh you know we've all been adolescents before there may be adolescents listening right now and feel like yeah the social dynamic in high school is wild i mean yeah. that that yeah and the power of that um, had so much influence on how I was interacting with the world right. because he was very charming was very um, social very charismatic so people were yielding to his um, idea of the truth point of view mm -hmm. man wow that's really, yeah, I was, I was going to say too, um, how long do you, how long did it take you for you to, to kind of find your way out of that? And, and how did you find your way out of that relationship? It was really the full four years of high school. Of high school. So this was your formative. Mm -hmm. Wow. This yeah. is the time where you, you know, otherwise would be coming into your own little young adult identity and you're also mm -hmm. going through this man yeah i mean i had a lot of anger in it too I, mean, I i was really going in between like this like autopilot shell of a person mm. place and then lashing out like at my family at my parents or um you know being really upset because you know these things were happening to me and it didn't line up with how I envisioned, you know, high school at that time in your life, everyone's like, it's the best years of your life. And I'm like, <laughs> anybody looks back and says, these were the best years of our lives, really. Um, but I was like, in the meantime, grieving this loss of, mm -hmm. I am not able to have this experience that I thought I was going to have in high school. And, you know, even though I was, um, still going through the motions of finding things that I love. Like I was in choir. That was when I discovered jazz and I was in a lot of you know, theater and musicals. And I just, it quick side tangent. That was actually one of the only times that I felt like I was Elizabeth and I wow. felt safe because if I was on stage it meant people were looking at me and he couldn't do anything. Wow. Which is wow. I, I literally just, that just put chills on my arms that yeah i feel the emotion in my face like just saying that because like it's so devastating that that was um like my literal outlet um you know and then 
there were times that we were in the same show and I'd get off stage and, you know, he would, you know, kind of get me away from other people or, you know, corner me, make me try, like try to make me miss a cue or something. I mean, it just, when I say these things out loud, it seems impossible that mm -hmm. another teenager was capable of these things, but um, it was, I mean, even now, like my brain is just flooded with like memories and things that I'll always associate with that show or that play, or I don't watch those plays anymore. I don't read them. I don't like when people bring them up because I know what happened during, you know, act three or whatever, um, you know, getting locked in a stairwell. Like it, it's just talking about it now as like a grown woman who spent a lot of time in therapy and a lot of time looking at it and not blaming myself. It feels like another lifetime ago and another life, but you know, if I experienced it, I know that other people experienced these mm -hmm. types of things. And it ultimately got to the point where I began fearing for my life with the threats and with the type of, um, the physical and, and sexual abuse was like getting to be enough to potentially hospitalize me. I was really fortunate that like I never actually had um, major injuries that were like life threatening. Um, but there's a theme of stairwells. At one point, he like pushed me down a flight of stairs, and I had this like moment of sobriety to say. I really, I could have broken my neck. I could have died. I could have been paralyzed. I cannot believe this is happening. And when that had happened, it was like after school, like before a rehearsal or something. And um, I think the most important part of that story actually is that I ran up the like stairs or to the next mm -hmm. thing or whatever and got into a hallway where there this was at the school and there was a teacher who was like working after hours and she had her door open and like she poked her head out because i was yelling at him to like get away and i was like clutching my hip because i had fallen on my hip and i was clearly a mess and i was already sobbing and she could have been an ally she could have been someone who wow. could help but she just stuck her head out and said, you need to sort this out. And she shut the door in my face. Wow. I kept running. Wow. So I think like the most important thing I want to share about my story is that mm -hmm. we have opportunities to like see beyond the mask or see beyond like an uncomfortable situation that might be happening. And I'm not saying that we need to rescue or that we have to be like the hero, but it would have been great if that teacher would have followed up with me or if she would have continued out and followed me and made sure I was okay. Mm -hmm. Just to do something like it's representative that there's so many times we just like turn. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. That I, at first I, I, I don't, I, it's, I can't even envisioning that. And actually you saying that I am thinking of it the building I spent the most time in in high school, that stairwell, what did those floors look like? Like I'm putting myself, as you're speaking, I'm putting myself in that situation and it's just, 
that that eerie time after school where half the lights are on and and right. there may be one teacher in the building. It's just, I don't know. I guess back to this, like, this isn't really how life is. I, this isn't on the Disney channel. You know, it's like that there are so many opportunities for, for people to, to do that to others, you know, to young adults in yeah. all kinds of settings. And man, it just, it just, it's like, I'm physically like scared in this moment because of what you were saying. And I'm picturing myself in that stairwell. Um, so going back to, um, I just want to bring, take it back to like this idea of, of getting, I would say getting out of it and then, you know, okay, this is, this is the end. And then we're going into this period of recovery and, and what, so how did you, you know, hmm. break that? How did you get out of that? Yeah. Well, you know, with trauma, or, you know, yeah, I'm not sure if I chose the right words. I'm trying to, yeah. <laughs> how, how do you, yeah. Like, how do you go from being that freshman in high school to then now being where you are and, and what did that process like? Yeah. You know, it, with trauma, the chronological events, it, it's all a wash. Um, mm. I spent a lot of time trying to figure out like, well, was it my junior year that the rape started or was it my senior year or was it before then? I have no idea that that's what happened. You know, there's so, so many like weird ways that our brain handles. Okay. Um, yeah. So to the best of my knowledge, I know that like at some point in my senior year, I had the light at the end of the tunnel of graduation and knowing that I was going to a music school in a different state, like after I graduated. And that was like just enough hope for me to start advocating for myself. Um, and we were actually both in the same like spring musical. Um, and I advocated for myself and I, myself as the lead and he was an ensemble member. He had started stalking me to my car. I almost ran him over with my car at one point. I mean, it was like the threats and everything were getting so serious that I was like, I, could kill this person um mm. and side note i actually like a friend's friend was in a gang and like had suggested when i like was at their house like crying or you know being like very upset suggested that they would like take care of something for me and i was like very tempted to actually be like you know what yes life would be so much better if this person died absolutely and that's not a person Ooh. that i'm sure learning of your the way you see yourself, your family, your upbringing, that is probably the person that that, that is, is just, doesn't sound like it's aligned yeah, with the person you saw yourself as. That's how disassociated you've become. That's how scared you've become. That's yeah. how, I mean, that's backed in a corner you are. Exactly. And I think it, it oddly enough, was like once it started, the, the threats were towards like my sisters, not just me or my life. Because I was not valuing my life really at that point. Where I was even considering taking someone else's life i mean like i don't know how else to explain like the weird space that your brain goes into when you're trying to survive um but then like it kind of snapped me out of it once i realized okay this is possibly affecting other people beyond me so i have mm -hmm. to do something about this um and knowing that i had that you know the spring musical or whatever I said, he's got to go. Like I went to my school and I said, this is happening. I need help. They did the whole victim blaming thing. And they said, if you don't want to be around him, you can't go to the choir and you can't go to the class. And 
I started to just get that fire in me to be like, no, I, I just, there's more to life than this. And I have to start saying something or else I'm going to die one way or another. I'm either going to take my own life or um, I'm going to be behind bars or this person is going to kill me. If you or someone you know is experiencing a crisis, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255 or visit suicidepreventionlifeline.org for support via live chat. If you or someone you know is in immediate danger, please call 911. Other resources are linked in the show notes. Um, so I think the climax of it was at some point in my senior year, I was hospitalized at an adolescent psychiatric hospital. And I went there like not even really believing that I was suicidal, but I had told my parents because they knew something was wrong, right? right. Like, and they had tried to get me to go to therapy and I like wouldn't go to my sessions or I'd go there and I would just like turn my chair around and be like I'm mm -hmm. talking and eventually like I knew that if I told them that I wanted to take my own life um, that they would take measures for my safety um, and so after an episode of me trying to jump out of the car on a highway <laughs> um they were like yeah we think that you should be checked in and like be in a secure place and start to work out whatever you need to and I was like great because I can't take one more day of this not realizing that that suicidality you know I right. can't go to this school one more day um Oof. and even when I was there honestly I didn't I was looking around at everybody else who was in patient with me and I was like I can't say anything because I was hearing them talk about what they were going through and I still couldn't like speak like there was something mm -hmm. closed off in my throat or I was just like making stuff up of why I was there like it was very confusing because I just had to numb out I was like I just need to yeah. be somewhere for like a week or two and not deal with my reality right now and, you know, I look back and I wish I would have let them help me. I wish I would have um, gotten some guidance there or not been so, like, stubborn. Um, hmm. But I was clinging on so hard to that. I just need to survive. Um, yeah, you, I mean, if you, it's, you know? if we're talking four years, you know, in this, this adolescent pre-adult, you know, coming into who you are, and then, of course, you're not going to flip a switch and like yeah it'll it, it takes time for you to be receptive to that you know yeah, even to someone felt like so catastrophic and it felt like yeah. i'm gonna be the one to like deal with the aftermath of it because i knew when i got back to school um i knew it was gonna be really bad for me um because i like went away and maybe i told someone what was going on and not having that control as an abuser um, is like not cool because like they want to control everything and manipulate and um, that like put him in a very like vulnerable position. So um, that I think was a big turning point for me because it was like, it's kind of now or never um, mm -hmm. start 
doing something about this and um, also realizing that going and being hospitalized, like just the act of doing that, I had to look at the reality that something is really not okay here um, because I was hospitalized. Like whether or not I really believe that I was suicidal, like going through that and seeing how it impacted my parents and my sisters. Hmm. I mean, I can't even imagine it. Like it's taken a lot, a lot of therapy and time to repair my relationships with them um, because they had like the secondhand trauma of it. Right. Um, and that must've been really scary for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish I wanted to ask you if, you know, you think of, um, I'm, I'm trying to avoid age and, and what year was freshman year, but if I, I know for myself, the, the first iPhone came out toward the end of high school for me, mm-hmm. I think, yeah, middle in maybe junior year of high school. So prior to that and even then we that we didn't you know our family we maybe popped in around the three so for a long time we never had this uh and and uh, you know even the technology with with social media was not as prevalent on that device but mm-hmm. now okay we're in now we're in this year we all know there's all these oversaturation of social media we are connecting with humans on social media right now what i mean I, my brain, I have four nieces. They're all girls. Uh, the oldest is 13. Some of this that you're talking about is kind of making me a little emotional about it because I'm thinking, you know, how can I, as an uncle or a family member, how can I not fall into the trap of writing off some of the behaviors if there is actually something going on? You know, how can I not, how can I show up as an advocate and ally to them as they go into their high school years and say, you know, no, sure, kid, sure. Maybe at that moment she was wanting something and, and you know, was what in a, in a mood or whatever. But I don't, I can't imagine the pressures that high school social dynamics, mm-hmm. overwhelming use of, of these comparative media that we're constantly looking at. I mean, I don't know, what would you say if, if you're talking to your 14 year old self, but she was 14 today, mm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, I think it would be limit your time on your device. Um, And I say that not because like connection isn't Mm -hmm. important, but, you know, that was a way that like with the phone that I did have, then, you know, it wasn't like you can go on Instagram on your phone when I was like, but like, um, that was one way of um, him controlling me or demonstrating toxic, traits like calling me like 80 times in a row or wow things um demanding that i send um pictures to him things that i didn't feel comfortable doing um and didn't he didn't have consent to talk to me as much as he did um and that's like a weird thing because everyone's so accessible and so available now that maybe with social media that's a good thing to talk about with our youth is you know, if you don't want to respond to somebody, you don't have to, you can block people, you can let them know, hey, you're reaching out a lot, and it's making me uncomfortable. There are ways um, to be like consent based, even in our interactions, because consent, we think in our heads, consent is for sex, it's for everything, you know, and we have the right 
to offer consent or revoke consent at any time for anything. Um, and that's always okay. That's our right. Um, so I think I offered a lot. I gave a lot because like I wasn't valuing myself or yeah. but, like, I guess what like the Instagram of my time was like <laughs> the social like perception of things. Yeah, I absolutely. Like, appear like I was having this great life. And, you know, I was like, an aspiring singer I was talented I had a lot of stuff going for me so like I was in the social field of both being like this attractive kind of pop yeah. person but then also people not really understanding that like I was showing signs mm -hmm. I was the crying girl in the hall I was someone who was constantly wearing like long sleeves, covering up um, things or not wanting to like hug things that, you know, if a friend saw someone posting something or they looked uncomfortable or they said something, I think it's just always a good idea to err on the side of caution and say, how are you really feeling about that? Or I noticed you use some words that like scared me a bit. You yeah. Know? to like say that or as a parent a, an uncle a friend I think we do owe it to each other um to be able to um ask direct questions and not be afraid of it because like you were saying earlier somebody could have intervened um they could have just like not accepted my answer of I'm fine right right you know um times that People had the opportunity, but we like to believe the masks. We don't want to be uncomfortable and, and say, can you just- I was going to say the same exact same thing. Is this, <sighs> just get comfortable with being uncomfortable, you know? Because um, it could save lives at the end of the day. Like if you, you know, I don't know. It, it, some people I, I understand. I mean, I look at my nieces and they're all so different personality wise. They're so different. And I know too, that wouldn't, that at this point would not feel comfortable even talking to their friends that they have, you know, and dancing and whatnot. I just know them and they would feel so, I think to your point, like bringing up the, Hey, it's okay. Like I was talking to my eight year old niece and she wanted to know what is a, um, I said, do you know what a stigma is? And she was like, no. And I kind of just, she goes, oh, that makes a lot. Oh yeah, we don't like those. <laughs> like she understood, you know? And so she, and she has a, you know, she has a couple of things and, and, and recently got bullied pretty bad at school and you know, kind of crushed her. And so, you know, I, I was going to say, I think just talk about it, talk about it, bring it up, talk about it, you know, yeah. check on it, check on people. What do you think looking back and even in your current, you know, where you are in your life, like let's talk, in, I guess, a, through the, yeah. the fire comes, through the darkness comes the light. But what if, I mean, what would you say if you, you know, you're raising a kid today or you, you know, like I said, like nieces or nephews and what would you say, you know, how would you set up the ne this next generation that, that you see to understand what is a healthy relationship and mm -hmm. what is, where should we not deviate? Where should we not settle? Where should we not doubt ourselves? Like, what are those pillars that you, have found that you know guide what is a healthy relationship now yeah it, it is i really believe we all have that voice inside of us that gut feeling that intuition instinct whatever it is 
Um, and that should be listened to above all else. You know, I think there was a fear for me of like coming forward and saying something and having people like not believe me or think, oh, you are being dramatic. It's not that bad mm. or whatever. But like that word, <laughs> that <and> word, <laughs> it's we love that word. It's so ingrained in, in describing people. <laughs> yeah. And it's kind of like, crazy. It's like we're just using it. as. It's a, just the easy. It's the easy way out. You just yeah. label it because it's you don't have to pull out of Webster's and find a better word. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. We're specific. Saying, yeah. Elizabeth, you're, you seem really dramatic. Instead of saying, Elizabeth, you seem very overwhelmed. You seem agitated. You seem like you, um, like, it sounds like maybe you, have you lost your way? Like, whatever it is, like, say anything else to keep the conversation going, because then the truth will come out. And that's when support can really happen. Um, but yeah, we, do, we just write things off. So, I think like listening to our instinct is the first place to go. Um, and to know that if you speak out or you test the waters with someone and they don't really seem like they're going to be an ally, find somebody else, you know? Yeah. That's a I great advice. And I, I recognize that I, I had a lot of privilege in being able to um, be heard and to be supported and to have access to therapy um, and to remove myself from the toxic situation, um, which right. is not the case for everybody. And, you know, uh, those people who are in a marginalized community and traditionally underserved communities have, are way more likely to suffer the consequence of like long-term intimate partner violence because um, their voices are not raised up. We're not hearing, mm -hmm. we're not listening. We're not able to give uh, their family structures, community structures, um, education systems, the resources needed to be a good bystander or to also then like have the, you know, emotional, relational intelligence mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in kids from a young age to know yeah. what's and what's not and exactly. what to do about it when it's not healthy. Um, exactly. I love that you said go to someone else. You know, we put, mm -hmm. I put growing up so much stock in my mom. It was like, my mm -hmm. mom's my world you know, uh, she loves to say, I'm so sorry for, you know, you having a, coming from a broken home. And I'm like, that's your, that's, that's just your heart. That's not, you know, it wasn't a broken home. It was, you know, so I'm constantly reminding her like all the positives and all the good things that she was able to provide for us, mm -hmm. you know, um, but I put a lot of stock growing up in her and um, I'm just, there are some times where, in my own mental health journey, I was so disappointed that she didn't understand. She didn't, she, mm -hmm. and I just kind of, I, I guess I just gave up and I was like, well, no one will understand. It's, yeah. it, it, I gave up trying to find someone else. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, hard when you don't diversify your support. And I even find myself in that now. Um, I'm in like a wonderful, very supportive, healthy relationship and like marriage, which I like never thought was going to be a thing for me. <laughs> You know, I was like, I didn't think I was ever going to be able to have sex again. I have a relationship with intimacy that was anything other than like terrified, numbed out, um, used for like the wrong reasons or as a tactic of control. I mean, I just, well, you've, yeah, you've had this trust just demolished and trusting people, trusting yourself. I mean, mm -hmm. and I, you know, I ultimately was really fortunate to find partners that, um, 
you know, being in long-term relationships where I was able to open up with people and let them know like, Hey, here's kind of where I'm at. And it's sometimes inconsistent. And sometimes it is going to just really like change whether or not I'm feeling triggered or um, something may surface. And Mm -hmm. here's how to communicate with me. And here's how I'm learning to communicate with partners that were really able to communicate and yeah. talk with me about it and also like be a support system but not the only support system absolutely and I sometimes what my husband now is he's like I can't be all the things and I'm like you're right I don't want you to be all the things I exactly do. but it's interesting because you're we started the conversation talking about why we're here today and it was mm-hmm. there was this one person who ended up with control and this one person and it's like we're running from that one person let me go to another one person <laughs> it's yeah. like wait 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 oh my gosh it's, it's real <laughs> wait 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 yeah why am i letting that one person hang the moon you know yeah um so it, it, it's that makes so much sense to like kind of historically um have if that's what i experienced then well and if you if you I, I mean I think I'm just immediately reminded of Pretty Woman. Like I love Pretty Woman. I didn't all of those like early nineties. I just, you know, I just love those movies, but there are so many themes of just like, Greece is another one, not to dog Greece, but you know, change everything about yourself and, and then you'll be happy. And it's like, wait, we have these examples of like, you know, why are we doing this? Why are we, why does this one person have to come and save me? Or why does this one person going to have all the answers? Or mm-hmm. It's just, it's hard. It's really hard. Um, but I was going to go back to, um, you know, I, I was going to, when we were talking about the teacher who could have been an ally in that moment for you, I know my sister is a teacher. Actually, all three of my sisters are teachers. And I know the burnout is real. And I know the stress of parenting is real. Pre-work from home, pre school on the iPad, pre all of it, you know, and now we're, we're mixing in device time, screen time, social pressures, you know, all of the things that we all experience in every generation is just like amped. Um, so, I mean, I don't want to say, you know, let's add another layer of responsibility to every single person to, you know, so, I mean, what would you say if like, if, if we, if, if a, you know, burnout teacher was sitting next to me and said, you know, I can't, I can't be the eyes and ears on every single person. I just can't, you know, what would you say? Like, what would you actually, you know, how do you feel like that's hard because I, it, I took a lot, it took a long time for me to not blame people. Yeah. And so yeah, of course feel like valued or seen or like, I can't imagine someone coming up to me and saying, Hey, this person is raping me on a, a consistent basis. It's on the property of your school. Um, all of this stuff is happening. I'm trying to get a, you know, um, restraining a restraining order. Thank you. Yeah. And for them, not to, do anything. <laughs> too bad, you know, like, and to show them painful bruises and to say this is happening, and for them to not um, respond with like immediacy, I I was floored. But what I would say now is I think people can only do the best with the information and awareness that they have at the time. 
Um, and even in like a world today where we have like so much information and everyone's yeah sensory (laughs) overload sometimes yeah it's so much you know that it's like sometimes it takes like one additional step um to provide what seems so simple and so common sense but when people are burned out when our lives were running like eight different marathons at a time (laughs) with like whatever it is um it's, it's really why like no stigmas in our trainings are so important because like programs that allow um, either teaching, here's how to handle a situation, here's how to recognize um, signs of abuse or mm-hmm. um, toxic relationships, um, sexual harassment, assault, whatever it, it is, like whatever topic it is, to actually have some dedicated time to give those people one, a chance to just like chill out for a moment and like come back to why they do this. Because like any teacher I talk to that I really like right. is like right. I'm doing this for the kids. I'm doing this to like help our exactly. generation of like, exactly. and like, you know, so I feel So like- it wouldn't be an intentional, obviously, yeah, it wouldn't be, I would hope not an intentional you know, a cog, like a, you know, a, I'm not going to help her, you know, no, but, it, but I'm, you know, situationally, sometimes we are, we're just wits end and too many, too many things spinning in the air. So, you know, um, yeah, yeah so I think that's a great, that's a great perspective. It's just like, get, you know, just to have a conversation, you know, just give us an hour of your time and here are some things to look for. And, you know, do you find, I know that you have experience um, with, trauma aware interactions hmm. what is the connection do you think having come from where you were in in high school and now kind of in where you are now and then having this you know come into all of this knowledge of what it means to be trauma aware oh. um how does that all connect and and how can we be as allies and advocates more trauma aware yeah i think a lot of it starts with like the language we use um and how we like start off a conversation with someone um, you know, consent-based practices are really important to me, as well as like ha- asking permission for things. Um, and that's why I say like the trainings and whatnot are so important is because like we can all read a pamphlet that says, look out for, you know, these signs. But, yeah. you know, when we actually are modeling the behavior of like asking like, hey, is this an okay time to talk about what happened at dinner the other night? Or um, hey, what headspace are you in? Like, are you um, able to like help me brainstorm something? And that's something I practice with my husband a lot because like sometimes I'll just like emotionally offload and it's like he's not in the place to really be able to support me. And then I feel hurt. Versus, oh, man. <laughs> you know. Man, I was, I, one thing was like, man, that's relatable content. And the other side of my brain said, um, I think I've been both of those people in that situation. <laughs> well, because it, it feels really like, overwhelming and sometimes almost like violating when you have a friend who's just like oh, and it's like you have no yeah. idea my day is right now like maybe you can just like start off a conversation um in a more like tender way mm-hmm. to get that person is at and then that opens a door for support absolutely and you're giving them permission to say not right now you know yeah and so that you get the best of them in another yeah. time and then yeah. like you know i think over you know a couple years now of of practicing that and knowing 
here's how I can support someone um, when I'm not available for it, when I don't have capacity. So, you know, that teacher who slammed the door in my face probably did not have the capacity. I have no idea what her day was like or what's happening in her life. It was detrimental to me. But if she could have known, okay, this is above my pay grade right now. I can't deal with this. I don't know what's going on with this student. I know enough now to say, hey, I can't help, but here's who can. Or um, let's just walk down to the guidance counselor's office. Maybe they're still in. Or can I get you by another adult or someone somewhere safe, somewhere secure? Whatever it is, is like, I'm recognizing that I don't have to be this like martyr to help them. Right, um, right. And the extreme um, side of that is like the suicide prevention. Mm -hmm. I'm not a, a trained crisis intervention specialist. Like I have some background in it, but I'm not a professional. I'm not someone who works at a hotline or in that field. So mm -hmm. I can let people know what my boundaries and expectations are if they come to me and I'm starting to sense that like there's some danger here. And then I can feel really comfortable and having a warm handoff, supporting them in the ways that I can. And then going about with my day, you know, and for a while I yeah. felt guilty about that or I felt like I needed to be the advocate for any time I saw like somebody maybe arguing at a restaurant and I wanted to like flip a table and be like you can't talk to her that way you know and like <laughs> yeah. it's like, true it's true after I mean as a son there's been many a moments where it's like <laughs> yeah very protective of my mother and my sister and exactly you know. you know and I think those are important things to be journaling about I have journals full of all of the like intense feelings of things that I wish I could have done for my younger self, what I would have done, you know, had I been able mm -hmm. to do this, this, and this, or X, Y, and Z. And I have the notebooks full, full of those fantasies. What would I do to get my revenge? All that. But it took me years of doing that to realize it's never going to be enough. It won't ever make me feel more complete, more healed, more like I got justice. Mm -hmm. it's just so much murkier than that yeah that's really where I find a lot of my strength and my living in recovery is by helping others to like recognize in their own relationships hey do I have somebody who is constantly crossing my boundaries mm -hmm. do I have to like remind them often of like I don't like that type of touch or hey when you don't communicate with me um, I get anxious so how can we come to and understand right. healthy communication. All of those things, like they all really, really matter. And they seem mm -hmm. really cool, but we overlook them a lot because we get stuck in our own narrative and our own world. Absolutely. But I really like helping people like find that mm -hmm. recovery. What stigmas, going back to no stigmas, yeah. what stigmas, I know we mentioned um, writing people off as dramatic. Um, what stigmas do you think or if, you know, if there's one, I guess, or two, would you say um, would be the front of the mind? Like if you had the room and, you know, you had every supportive environment, people around some someone, let's say, for example, going just going back into this conversation of being a teen or, or you know, young adult or, mm -hmm. you know, what would you say would be like, okay, this needs to stop. <laughs> this <laughs> point of view needs to stop because this is, 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 in some way harming children and young adults and mm -hmm. and you know 
irreparable ways like this has to stop what would you say is like this that or you know i think it's like victim blame and punishment that has got to be the biggest uh stigma and i think people need to answer for their actions um and i am not saying that there are not people who lie about their experiences mm. um, but i think that we need to do a due diligence in believing people and then like finding out the truth i know with right. like the movement and things like people were kind of up in arms and thinking well this person's just trying to get a, like, a settlement or they're just trying to like hurt this person right and and a lot of i was just just to interject a lot of people at the same time a lot of you know i, I listen to um some different really strong female voices um and authors and it, it's, it's like be mindful of not you know thinking like every single CEO is out to get every other person, you know, it's like, be mindful right. that there are good people still. We're not, mm -hmm. it's, the world is not full of only, you know, it, it's, it's not like to your point, no. some people may not be telling that story accurately, but at the same time, not everybody's out to get you, you know, that there are good people, there are allies in spaces that you, yeah, know, you don't know. They look, they may look just like the bad person, but you know, yeah, we still have to like surface. realize critical thinking and be human beings about it, you know? So yeah. I like to err on the side of caution. Like if someone tells me something, I believe them. And yeah. you know, whether or not I know anything beyond that um, is not, is no longer like my story. Um, so I feel like there's a lot of power in storytelling and a big part of me taking so long and sharing my story was I was afraid I wasn't going to be believed um, because I had people who didn't believe me or even when I started sharing um, with like some friends or partners that like, hey, this happened to me. Mm. Their first questions were like dismissive of my experience or almost like blaming me, um, which, you know, will shut off a conversation before it even starts, you know? So I think a stigma and a stereotype that we still um, attach to people who come forward um, with sexual trauma, or abuse, whatever it is, um, we tend to still see it as there's one way that this could have happened. When mm. it's a huge spectrum of unique experiences that everybody has. Um, and, you know, I feel like we can use a lot more grace and tenderness when talking with anybody because it is so unique. And I can't tell my story in like three sentences and have someone <laughs> totally get it and be like, you know, I see that you did the best thing you could in that moment because you were trying to survive. Um, right. We still ask victims, well, what were you wearing? Or you put yourself in mm. a situation. Why were you out at night or whatever? And I think my story is important because it shows that it's like, I wasn't in a traditional place or setting where assault happens where people had become like desensitized to it people yeah that was my my one of my last questions for you today was just to to uh, i know in another conversation you mentioned um sort of the i guess the stereotype which i guess goes with stigma of of what is abuse what is you know violence what is um what is trauma all these things of of the nuances of what those things are because you today you've already brought up gaslighting you brought up grooming you've brought up instilling self-doubt not trusting yourself like 
all of these micro, micro, micro moments that are strung together to deteriorate you from the inside. Yeah. And I just, you know, I just, I was, I, 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 that was something that you've said to me that was very enlightening before was the fact that we, wait a second, (laughs) there are so many nuances of, of that, that, that trauma and what we're, what we're, what we experience in our lifetime. Um, Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to just be what we maybe saw in the movie, you know, that, that's what that looks like, you know? Yeah. And I mean, those cases are extremely valid. Um, Absolutely. But yeah, lump everybody into it. Like I felt very othered and like kind of disregarded when people would assume that I must have been in college at a party dressed provocatively because I was raped and it must have been from a stranger and it must have been a one-time thing. You know, we, we still kind of, that like PTSD only exists for veterans, you know, of service in a war. And those are like very, very um, specific and, and valid. Um, Absolutely. Um, that, you know, they're, they're legitimate, you know, I'm not mm-hmm. taking anything away from those stories. Yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely. Yeah, but it's not every. But you would not have checked a single one of those boxes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so why I'm like. So you would have walked out of this imaginary, you know, physician's office with this imaginary checklist and mm-hmm. she's, she's fine. You know, like far, no, not, you know, if you could go, if you could play, play back and be outside your body. But um, the last thing I just want to leave us with just one more time is um, just going back to advocacy. And you mentioned your kind of one of the things, and I know you mentioned the timeline is muddy and how our brain processes that trauma, but you mentioned how you felt this empathy and this guilt and and, and sort of protectiveness all wrapped up into one when it, when it started to affect your loved ones, your family. And it was, mm-hmm. oh, wait a second, this isn't just me. Do you think that, um, or how do you think that there's a way for us to do that for ourselves, like to show up for ourselves and in the same way, I know a lot of people say it's hard to tell myself I love myself, but I can tell everyone else, you know? Yeah. Do you think, because I know we are we are here to, to advocate for our loved ones and we are, but we've talked about teachers and we've talked about, you know, family support systems, but what about that person that, that voice is so buried, they're not able to fight for themselves? Yeah, I think there's always a way to touch that voice. And like you said, it can get so buried. And I know that even at like my lowest point, I was still thinking there has to be something beyond this in my life. Mm. I want to be able to look back at 45 and be like, I'm so glad that I did not take my life. I'm so glad I did not jump out of that car. I'm so glad I didn't, you know, fall into um, the clear and available paths of addiction and things to just slowly hurt myself and poison myself. Mm. It's something that I didn't choose you know so i think that like i still knew that that voice was there and it was almost like a fake it till you make it kind of moment i had to start repeating those like phrases to myself like i am enough i am valuable i'm worthy of love i also have journals now full of tons of like you know the gratitude things and you know sometimes they just feel like this is so but I do really think it works because it it drops you in it connects you into um 
yourself because you have to take away everything else, especially if you're writing like stream of consciousness. It's just coming from you. And I'm amazed. I've had like conversations with like a deceased grandfather who I wish I could have talked to about this. You know, like I've had these like moments of almost like weird synchronicity and like answer and sentence uh -huh. yeah i'm like there's no way i came up with that because that's what he would have said but it also comes for me so i'm like i recognize that there are ways whether it's getting out into nature or connecting with other people and sharing your story yeah she's she's in there she's still in yeah, there mm -hmm. out for yourself um and i even found like too just being in a, in a doctor's office because for a long time i like i wouldn't go see a gynecologist i wouldn't go yeah somebody where like I would have to fill out the dreaded form of like are you safe and have you ever had you know um, adverse like sexual experiences I was like too afraid to even approach that yeah but once I started like sharing with a doctor I have had a history of sexual trauma here's what's helpful for me during this exam and having people like respond wow with like, okay, great. I'm gonna tell you what I do before I do it. I'm gonna give you a time frame of how long we're going to be doing this. And I was like very terrified at first to start speaking up for myself. So it was kind of like a fake it till you make it. But once I started- that's a, But that's such a great example. Like you said earlier with asking someone, you know, before kind of that, that consent idea of like asking someone where they are today so that, you know, that interaction is as productive and positive as it could be. But wow and it goes wow. both ways both people can like preemptively like doctors or not even just in the medical world but like any right working with somebody you can just say like let's get a read on where you're at exactly what um the last thing i know no stimulus is obviously a, a great resource and a, a network of uh, peer support but what would you say are other um places that maybe someone um could turn to if they were in a, in a situation um, or know someone in a situation that they want to get out of? Yeah, um, the domestic abuse hotline is a really, really great resource. Um, and I, I know that I've had friends who, you know, have brought some concerns to me and they're like, I don't really know if this is like a thing or it's so specific or I don't really want to go to the therapist yet, but I kind of want to like gauge whether or not this is unhealthy. That's mm -hmm. a really great um, to call. It's not as scary as you think you know you, you think you're gonna call them and they're gonna be like all right we're sending the SWAT team and like, <laughs> you know, like I mean, yeah that's scary. is it so you okay so is obviously you're able to call and remain anonymous mm -hmm. i assume yeah yeah have, so that's a yeah they have a text line as well and that that is where you can um have anonymous support that can help you have a safe exit plan or just kind of like talk with someone to see mm. uh, are these checking boxes for domestic abuse is this something that um i should seek help for like how what do i do in this situation right I have an active listener though who's trained um to keep you safe and like hold this secure or get you connected to like a local um organization or someone that can help you with the long term plan so that's something i wish i would have had access to because we go from our head of thinking i either need to keep this a secret from everybody or like right after an, an episode of sexual trauma i need to go within 24 hours to a rape center and 
a crisis center like that was terrifying for me. And I've heard that yeah. it can be even more traumatic than the experience itself. Um, so, you know, we think that there's only like these are two black and white ways mm -hmm. of dealing or with that one that, as you mentioned, that one person, you know, and if that one person, you know, not to say that they're intentionally not believing you or listening mm -hmm. to you, but if they don't have the capacity to, to, you know, field that conversation, you have this other, you know, go in your room, close the door, pick up the phone. Like, yeah. Mm -hmm. there's, to, to have a there's allies there it feels like there's not it feels like you're alone in it or that you're too far stuck in it but you know if you're watching this i'm just here to tell you that like you 100 percent um, have the capacity to continue speaking up until someone hears you and that you are worthy of that no matter what anybody is is telling you and i'm getting emotional mm -hmm. or you're telling yourself <laughs> yeah like telling you yourself yeah we tell our we, i don't know why why do we not build ourselves up sometimes man we just yeah because we would worst critic tell our friend get in the car exactly care of it. it's like, exactly we, we have to extend that to ourselves too and there's so much life beyond it like i mm -hmm. and i'm a testament of that i never thought that i would be able to have a fulfilling relationship that was just like full of the right type of intimacy for me mm -hmm. Um, consent-based, kind, communicative, like deeply active listening. I mean, like, I did not think that was available to me. So anybody who feels like they're not ever going to have that in life, um, mm -hmm. that's the trauma speaking. That's, yeah. that's not, that's not the truth. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. <laughs> and if you just take some time to really do those deep dives, like on your, on your own, whether it's in a journal with a therapist, whatever it is that you need to do to stay well, that is what's going to create the opportunity for your life to become like what you really know that it can be. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. Well, Elizabeth mentioned, you know, we're not a, a, a crisis response specialist, uh, you know, team, but we are here to support you as a, as a listener, as a, as a viewer. Um, so please reach out to no stigmas if ever you just, want someone to see you and maybe you know we're there so uh, elizabeth i just want to say thank you again another great conversation for the books um and i want to thank you for being so honest and you know elizabeth has had years of you know a kind of learning you know she's expressed like learning how to safely go back in time to understand what's happened so i don't want to discourage anyone from not don't be hard on yourself that maybe right now in this moment, something traumatic has happened to you. You can't find the words to describe it. We've spoken before about having the words to articulate what's going on. Like, I just want everyone to be, be gentle and kind and understand that that's totally okay. And that's normal. As I have been educated by Elizabeth, it's, you're, it's normal to, to not have all the right words in that exact moment. And it, it takes time. Um, so Elizabeth, thank you so much for this conversation and for being so honest and vulnerable. Thank you so much for having me do this. I, I really think every time I share my story a little bit, I learned something about myself and I always walk away feeling a little bit more empowered. So thank you. Thank you so much. All right, we'll talk soon. This is Unsilent. Thank you for listening. 
Today's episode was hosted and produced by me, Eli Lawson, Lance Portalone, John Panacucci, and the rest of the incredible No Stigmas marketing team. Special thanks to Elizabeth for sharing her story this week and all the incredible work she's done for No Stigmas over the years. Thank you so much. To go beyond the show, connect with us on social media or visit nostigmas.org to learn more about mental health topics. Please leave us a five-star review and share with others wherever you listen to your podcast. We'd really appreciate it. New episodes of Unsilent come out every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern time. Finally, remember that whatever you're going through, you don't have to do it alone. Be Unsilent. We'll see you next week.